What's up? Welcome to Canucks Talk. It's Jamie Dodd. It's Thomas Drantz here on Sportsnet 650. Drantz are, of course, also a Canucks insider covering the team at The Athletic. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Your Kubota all-star team, avenuemachinery.ca, douglaslakeequipment.com. We are coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics. Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. I'll tell you what's, what's down. Up? I'll tell you what's down my mood now. Um, <laughs> I never know. It's a split-second decision before I open my mouth if I'm going to say what's going on or what's up. So the Canucks unveiled yesterday their second half of the season Mission Impossible hype uh-huh. video. And the action scenes are so cool, right? Like, the level of access... And the, like, genuine film polish on those videos is incredible. Now, it's pretty clear that they had to remove a ton of stuff, like Bo Horvat. Bo Horvat, I'm guessing, yeah. would have featured prominently well, in it. And, and and perhaps, like, a hopeful message for the future. You know, like, what, whatever you were doing that was going to build toward the playoffs. But it's still one of the best. Is Niels Hoaglander in this one? I wasn't in the building last no, night. No, but so Spencer Martin was prominently. Yeah. Tough. That's sad. It's tough. Video is still, like, one of the cooler ones you'll see around the league. Sure. Right? Like, they're incredible. Honestly, unfortunately, they've been the best thing about Canucks home game experiences the last couple of years. Right? The superhero one was awesome last year. This one's probably better. And toward the end, toward the climax, okay, they have beloved Vancouver icon Colby Smulders. Uh-huh. Famous from... Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Yes. or whatever. She was the S.H.I.E.L.D. agent. Oh, she was in also the in Avengers. movie Avengers, yeah. yeah. And also, of course. How I Met Your Mother, of course. The, thank you. I was going to forget the name. It was going to be like that 70s show. <laughs> <laughs> You're clearly a big fan of her work. Huge fan. No, I loved, I actually, I actually loved How I Met Your Mother more than I care to admit. There you go. And toward the end of it, the hammer line, anything is possible. And I'm sitting there really enjoying it, and I'm like, I'm going to give this some praise. Like, the Canucks, at the end of the day, have really improved the in-game experience. I'm so negative about this team all the time. Like, this is something that they do really well. And then right toward the end of it, Hammerline. I'm like, you have to be trolling me at this point. There is no other explanation. (laughs) I'm like, no, it can't. No, anything can't happen, Robin Scherbatsky. Stop it. That's too perfect. <laughs> Just a nice little kick in the teeth for Drat at the end. <laughs> a little snippet. Yeah. In in between in between me <laughs> celebrating my Malaki Branham parlays. All right. I want to talk about the Rangers real quick and then we'll get to the goaltending and then we'll get to the game. Yes. Your Rangers don't take the Canucks very seriously. No, doesn't look like it. And that that that's a, a growing list of teams that you can put into that category. <laughs> it's been like this. We're going to see that a lot down the down the stretch here. It's been like this all season. The Ra- the Rangers came in like on a business trip, secured the win. Right, like it's no no coincidence that they poured two in real in quick succession after they went down for the only time in the in the game. And the energy level when the Canucks made it a one goal game, right? Like when they they tied to make it or scored to make it three two. And all of a sudden, the Rangers went from playing like at all-star game pace to playing at like, hey, you know, game fifty-five in the regular season pace. It was it was as whiplash-inducing as it will be when the playoffs begin, and you're like, oh right, this sport is unbelievable. Mm. Why why do we have such a long season when it can look like this? It was an incredible thing to watch. 
so businesslike, so careful about where they expended their energy, and so far superior to the Vancouver Canucks. And it showed all game long. And you, you just got the sense that they knew they could generate grade A scoring chances almost at will, right? Well, like even you look at could. open the first the third period, get a grade A scoring chance in the first minute, reestablish a, a two goal lead, and they pretty much coast from there, yeah. right? Because they know they could do it. Well, and and they did it throughout the game, right? It was like Dakota Joshua scores, Rangers add two really quickly, make it three two. Rangers score that Kreider goal. Oh, my goodness. What an unbelievably poorly played three-on-two mm-hmm. in front of a rookie goaltender. Uh, then, you know, Ke'Andre Miller scores what ter- turns out to be the game winner. I mean, it was just all game long, the Rangers keeping the Canucks at bay with ease. And then when the Canucks made it 5-4 late, the Rangers actually played a pretty simple but but effort-filled hold-the-lead-close-it-out game. That Rangers team's impressive, right? Loaded at this point. You look at that. Like, I didn't think Keandre Miller and Jacob Truba had a particularly good game. But, man, what a luxury to have that as your second pair. Oh, man. You know, ridiculous. I, I Braden, uh, Braden Schneider is a really impressive young player. Clearly, the Rangers want him to throw it off the glass every time out. But he's got the ability to move the puck more authoritatively than that. And you see it every now and then. Like, there were, there were times watching the Rangers' third pair where I'd be like, off the wall, off the wall, off the wall. <laughs> and the Canucks were cheating on the forecheck. Like, credit Rick Tockett and company. They knew where it was going. And then just, like, every fifth attempt, Brain Schneider would throw, like, a perfect pass in the middle of the ice. I'm like, oh, man, why don't they let him do this all the time? He's awesome. And then, obviously, we know what that forward group is like. I mean, two top five picks on your third line. Yeah. By the way, I, I think I, I, I'm, I'm on the Lafreniere bandwagon. Really? I think I think Lafreniere. I don't think he's going to be like the best winger in hockey at any point, but I think he's going to be like a perennial All Star level contributor in his prime with significant two way value. I really like what that line is doing. Like they've obviously found something together, and Philip Hedel is getting most of the praise right now. Well, and La- deservedly so. He's yeah. driving it, but Lafreniere is playing well that, there too, and that's a really nice, as you said, luxury to have as your oh. third line. I, I like his game a lot. Um, I was trying to think of a comp, and the best I could come up with was like, you remember late career McGilney? Sure. Like, because Lafreniere doesn't have like the burner wheels, the afterburners anyway, that McGilney obviously did when he was a perennial 50 goal guy mm-hmm, in Vancouver. Mm-hmm. But late career McGilney, where it was like 30 goals, 40 assists, and really reliable two way play, that's almost what I think Lafreniere could look like, you know, age 23 through 27 in, in his prime. The Rangers are really good and obviously have loaded up to make a run at the Stanley Cup. They are the seventh favorite. <laughs> like they're not even in the inner circle of Stanley Cup favorites. Do you know how many teams are favored ahead of them in their own division? Definitely Carolina. Yep. Possibly New Jersey? Yeah, New Jersey, New Jersey well. too. Uh, uh some some kudos being left over for the Devils from their hot start to the season. Yeah. Like, think about how good you have to be. Like, I think about this a lot with players. Like, if if Pedersen's in that, like, Barkov-Sebastian Ajo tier, mm-hmm. right? Which which I think he's cemented himself as over the course of this campaign. There's still, like, a massive leap. Like, that's an incredibly high level of player. But there's still a massive leap to, like, the Crosby-Matthews-McKinnon level. Oh, yeah. And then there's still, like, a pretty significant gap to Connor McDavid. You know, like, it's it once you get to the very top... 
the you know it's so hard to get to where the Rangers are, but then to get from where the Rangers are to where the Avalanche were last year or where the Lightning have been is still like a massive step, mm. right? It, it's harder at the top. Well, and, I, I think that Sebastian Ajo is a really good comparison, right? Because you would say mm. best forward on that team. But they're so deep. They have so much depth around him, right? So if if your best forward is going to be roughly Sebastian Ajo, you need to have so much other talent everywhere else on the roster. Like we all know about the blue line and what they do with guys like Slavin and and Brady Shea. Uh, but the forward group is really deep. And the thing that's interesting about Carolina is obviously they're fantastic every year in the regular season. But then there's also the question of do they have enough high end talent to win in the playoffs? Totally, right? And that's not like an outside thing. I think that's an internal thing there too, right? Do we need more game breaker type players, even with the amount of depth and talent they have? Hundred percent. So you think about how hard it is to get to where the Rangers are. I mean, I I just bring this stuff up to underscore the big point that I'm always trying to drive home and I'm always trying to drive home because I think it's the only story now, right? The only story now is what direction does this Canucks team go in, right? Especially because they've already made their big deadline move with Bo Horvat moving on. It's like, what else do we see that fits within that picture, right? Maybe Besser, but that would sort of be conservative. That would almost be in line with like the conventional way that this new management group has operated. And I, I just remain convinced that something more dramatic is necessary. The, I think, I think part of this too, like part of out of this discussion comes the Thatcher Demko speculation that he punctured, of course, this week, and that his agent also punctured uh, Jordan Newman on Donnie and Dolly. And you know what's funny about that speculation is if you look through it, if you look for like the reports, like do you remember talking about it on this program? Mm-hmm. Did we? Well, well, we sorry again because we have to separate like the idea that I don't think we ever talked about Thatcher Demko wanting out. No, we talked. We about talked about reports. The Canucks potentially right shopping him or or being willing to trade him. So, and I think the origin of this is actually the VanCast yeah. at the Athletic, an episode that I wasn't on, and it was recorded the same day that Bo Horvat was traded later that day. So there's an episode later on that day where we we come on and we're discussing it, and a, a listener asks about. It's one of those Q&As we do. A listener asks about Demko, and I I punt it to Farhan, making fun of him, calling him a Demko whisperer. (laughs) And, you know, he reiterates the point that more than anything, with all this national reporting from credible insiders coming out about the Canucks shopping Demko, there's sort of uh, a background conversation about what what could this possibly mean, considering that trading Demko flies in the face of this club's stated goals of being competitive relatively quickly. Like, how do you ever compete in the next two years without a goaltender who yeah. at least has a chance to be one of the top five puck stoppers in the league? And and I think that got twisted to, like, hard reports. And I just don't think it ever really amounted. Like, it never really got to that level. Yeah, I don't know. I'd have to go back and look. No, and, and, of course. And to it, I'm right? not asking I, you yeah. to buy it. I'm saying yeah. I went back and looked, and I'm telling you, I don't think it ever really reached. I think it's the fever pitch... Like, it's a combination of a fever pitch around the deadline. Questions about what the Canucks will do, right? National reports about the Canucks, quote-unquote, listening. Mm. And then it all sort of gets filled in beneath that with people sort of hearing more than is said, right? As a result of sort of how it goes. That's just my understanding of of the one episode that I went back to backtrack and listen to, in part because I had people in my mentions being like, you said this! And I'm like, I definitely did not say this. (laughs) So, I I bring this up because 
I I felt like watching the, that Rangers game yesterday and the context, obviously, of the Rangers, like, irreplicable, honest rebuild and the letter and all of that hangs over every time these two teams meet. We've discussed it ad nauseum, considering they played twice in the last two weeks. And I was just thinking about how the Rangers show you so clearly, not just how far the Canucks have to get go to get to a point where, you know, say what you want, fade or or buy the Rangers as a contender, they're going to be playing meaningful hockey this year, mm-hmm. right? If you get to the point where the Rangers are, that's well worth it. Like, that's good. You don't have to oh, yeah. get over the hump. They're not in the, like, mushy middle or anything, no, right? They're, they're a good team that has a legit chance to win the Stanley a Cup. A legit chance to win the Stanley Cup, but they're, even then, you're a fringe contender, right? And so it just... Yeah, like, they're probably going to have to play New Jersey in the first round, Without home ice advantage, right? right. You know. Wow, it's all home ice advantage for the Rangers. Yeah, it's still <laughs> a little different, but you know what I mean. Yeah. yeah. When you consider the gulf between Vancouver and the Rangers and then consider that there's still another massive step to take beyond that to get to where we all want to see this team go, like, it, it's just one of those things I wanted to bring up and actually dwell on at length <laughs> because it cements for me just the ab- abject, absolute folly of thinking this can be tweaked quickly. Like, there's there's, there's no way. The Rangers have three top pair defensemen on the Canucks. Like, they, they are... Pedersen's probably better than any Rangers center. And then you take all four of their guys <laughs> before you take the next Canuck. Yeah. At least as a centerman. Right? I mean, the, just the, the golf in quality well, is uh, mammoth. Not to mention, like, Artemi Panarin and, you know. MVP caliber winger. Yeah. Uh, and the Chris Kreider, like now. a Chris unique Kreider, yeah. physical profile there, right? On and on. It's just, it's wild to me that you'd watch those teams play and think, hey, if the Canucks can just add, you know, a, a, some puck-moving heft, boy, they'd be cooking with, no. Like, their forward group's not even as good as the Rangers' forward group. Their goalie's not as good as their forward group, even when Demko's healthy and on his game. And their defense, like, woof. Only Quinn Hughes would be dressing for them. Yeah. Seriously. Uh, Ethan Bear, maybe, on the third pair. Over Schneider? Stop yeah, no, it. That's true. They Stop got the it. They got Schneider no playing on the right side. Yeah. You'd, you'd sub in Hughes for Mikola, and, the, and, like, that's it. And that's the seventh team. Favorite to win the cup per Vegas. So, anyway, I'm I'm always gonna keep doing this. I always get up when when all you've known is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. And and so I'm gonna hammer the rebuild thing one last time. Well, one last time, one last time today in the one last time this segment, one last time in the context <laughs> of the Rangers. And just just what's the compelling argument against at this point well but you know what like feel free to make it in the 650 i appreciate inbox. the comparison to the rangers but you know to me what an even simpler argument is they're tied in the standings of the arizona coyotes I, if you I, I wonder what the head-to-head odds were on 55 the, games into the season transfer no, i know well the, the the i i think the canucks over under on the season was set something like 25 points higher than arizona's yeah i i, I Arizona is trying to be, be bad, is as my, Clayton Keller referenced. Is my worst take of the year that it's too late to tank? <laughs> it's shaping up that way. I'm not like I'm not giving up. By the way, on Vancouver finishing well, well, well above the Arizona Coyotes, but man, 
I think they're last. I think the Canucks are 32nd in win percentage since January 1st now. They are uh, They're doing their best, man. They are doing their best. They are on their Desert Fox Rommel stuff right now. Like, just like absolute <laughs> tank masters. They really are. But anyways, like that pretty much sums it up. You're 55 games into the season. You're tied with a team that was trying desperately to lose as many games as possible this year. Yeah, but like they, if they didn't count out, they didn't count on Kirill the Thrill. <laughs> no, they didn't. Or Connor Ingram now. Yeah, Connor, wow. they're, they're just getting too many saves. They are. But if that doesn't sum it up for you, it's like, well, that's a really bad problem. You can't. You don't want to be that. And that's where the Canucks are. That's right now. That's the team with Troy Stetcher. That's true. Playing matchup minutes for them. Yes. Tough L for the for the. Troy Stetcher is overrated by Canucks fan crowd. <laughs> I see you, Lee Powell. Stop um, pretending you've ever been right about anything. All right. Uh, <laughs> we should talk sorry. about we should talk about Archer Seelovs <laughs> a little bit. Uh, NHL debut. No, I want to I want to keep settling deeply <laughs> deeply scores? personal Twitter scores on on the radio. Um, Archer Seelovs was the story of was the real story of last night. Yeah. You would have liked to see him track that Keandre Miller shot better. I think the fact that the Zabanajad goal was the first that he allowed, like, I almost don't hate that you get a eyes wide open moment like that. And then he responds well, right? Like, uh, I think he lets been... in the Panarin goal shortly after, but nothing well, you can do about it. Yeah, okay. Yeah, but I mean, from his perspective, like, the things he can control, he, he responds battled. well. Yeah, hard. And so, because I agree with you on the, the uh, Zabanajad one, that would be, it would be really easy for that to be a deflating moment. Like, I just got schooled by a star player in my NHL debut. Ouch. I'm sure it wasn't fun to have it happen to him, but he didn't let it, he didn't wilt. No. He didn't deflate. No, he battled, he battled. as you said. Well, so I, I think that's pretty impressive. I think it's good, too. Like, at the end of the day, you can play in the World Championships. You can play 42 AHL games. You can play 10 more in the ECHL. You can have gotten a cup of coffee in the QMJHL. You know what you've never seen? You've never seen a 40-goal scorer with a step on the defender. Um Sell a leg kick like that. Yeah. Right? Like, that was such a sick move. The the leg kick, like you're about to wrist it and then hook five hole. That's ridiculous. Like, let's just take a second and appreciate how ridiculous that is. Sometimes that gets stopped because as ridiculous as Zabanajad is, NHL goalies, also outrageous. These guys are so good. And for a, for a player who's never been in that environment, you know, you've never seen a move like that. Yeah. You have never seen a move like that. And I think it's good for a goalie, especially a young goalie, especially at the age of 21, to get that eyes wide open moment. That like, oh, wow. I have to work so hard to stay at this level. I have to work even harder to be good at this level. And boy, oh, boy, the work that it takes to be great at this level is through the roof. You need to experience it to see it. One thing I loved about it wasn't just that Silovs or uh yeah Silovs uh stayed focused battled throughout the game post game his interview I thought really impressive obviously English second language but he was pretty competent using the language were you nervous before the game nope hmm. and he meant it you know um talked constantly about it being an experience a learning experience like it was so clear that he understood the assignment was go in battle do your best learn something and it felt genuine when he talked about how he approached that, and I think that's just a f phenomenal sign. Like, that's the sign of a guy who's not too high, not too low emotionally. That's what you need to be a goaltender at this level. Short memory, even keel, <laughs> emotional profile. Like, that's what you want. I thought he demonstrated that as well. 
obviously at the end of the day, 21 goals against on 26 shots, 8.15 save percentage, and and the loss on record. Not not like a storybook NHL debut, but that game did nothing to diminish Silov's star as sort of the the star pupil in Vancouver's much ballyhooed Canucks goaltending well, development. Well, I think line. from what we know about goalie clo- goalie coach Ian Clark as well that. Yeah, there's certain physical attributes he wants from his goalies that he works with and who the Canucks draft, but he really values the mentality. And I think specifically what you referenced there, the fact that Seelovs could genuinely say, I wasn't nervous, right? And that, hey, I'm, I'm using this as a learning opportunity. I, I'm, I'm battling. All of those things are really important to Ian Clark. So I think that shines a little bit of light on why he is so well regarded as well. And uh, Trey Mack texted in, what was the point in starting Seelovs last night? Uh, wanted to see what he looks like behind a horrid defense on a team that has no hopes of making the playoffs. And I think it was, as you said, he understood the assignment, right? Like, this is going to be a really good learning experiment for you. It's low stakes because we all know they're not trying to win. So it's not as if it's a disaster if we lose the game, but go out there and get something out of it. The only thing I don't understand about Seelov starting yesterday against the New York Rangers, right? Considering that the Rangers are a top 10 offensive team. And actually, I think that undervalues how creative they are, right? Like, it's not just that they can go east-west and have all these great finishers. It's mm-hmm. that they can go east-west with a combination of grit and skill, right? They've got guys like Trocek and Kreider yeah. and Hedl and Kako who can sort of like win battles down low and have the skill <laughs> to pass off to ace shooters. They are incredibly creative as a team. One thing I didn't really understand about the process was like why – why yesterday? Why not Saturday against Philadelphia? And I guess the reason for that is that Delia's up on emergency conditions, okay. right? So he's not like a normal recall, um, which means that he can be sent down without requiring waivers. Um, but you're not going to send him down anyway when you activate Demko. And I get that Demko wants to back up Saturday before returning to action next week. But like, was that more important than throwing a prospect into the deep end at this point in the season when you could have held them for a bottom five offensive opponent like at the end of the day do you want a guy learning from Zabanajad or building some of his confidence up against Wade Allison <laughs> you know like uh, pr- pretty significant difference in quality there feels like you know for paper reasons I get it I guess but for the life of me and considering this organization's prioritization on player development and the importance of that like why not? Why not Philly? It doesn't seem like the loss would have been significant to um, give him this Philly start with Demko backing up, and you know if Delia goes on waivers, who cares? Like, what, what does it matter to you? Yeah, You've I got don't know. Spencer Martin down there anyway. Like, I don't know. I mean, they decided it was going to be that game. I guess, right? I yeah. hear what you're saying, and they now they want to roll with Demko Delia. Uh, at least I know there were all three goalies were on the ice at practice. They're practicing right now. We'll see if we get any more. Uh, insight into how they're going to manage the situation going forward. But yeah, I mean, you would bet on it being Delia and Demko on Saturday right now. We'll see. We'll see how it shakes out if Demko is is good to go and all that, if they continue to slow play it a little bit. But I mean, overall, a good performance for Archer Silovs. It's Absolutely. Not, it, it, it's not, you know, revelatory or, or anything about him. But hey, he stood up to it. He battled. He fought. Didn't look any worse than the goaltending the Canucks have had for uh, for months now. So no, there but, you go. But, for example, you wouldn't want him backing up next season. No, that can't be the plan. 
<laughs> right. That can't be the plan. Like, correct. Maybe you leave a little sliver of the doorway open in case he knocks your socks off at training camp again. Or maybe, you know, you think, okay, well, we could call him up at some point to be the backup, but you can't oh, yeah, pencil if in- that if in. If injury happens, yeah. sure. But, I mean, maybe, you know, right now he's working toward getting to a level where you don't have to sign another guy. Yeah. Right? Where where you don't have to sign the Delia to the one-year deal at 750K. Because, like, by the way, even third goalies are expensive these days. Right? If yeah. you can get that out of out of Silovs, that's great. But that's where he's working toward. He's not working toward being a full-time backup yet. Uh, more thoughts on the game coming up. Keep your thoughts coming in as well to 650-650. Plus, uh, Frank Saravelli had an interesting report about Brock Besser. We'll get into that. It is Canucks Talk, Sportsnet 650. Everything Canucks before and after the games. Canucks Central with Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650 live from the Kintech studio. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. Uh, just a quick note to pra- uh, to pass along from Canucks practice. Our guy Randy Janda is there uh, with this tweet a few minutes ago. Three goalies started practice, but Thatcher Demko left the ice early. We'll have to wait for the Rick Talk at media availability after practice to see whether that was planned or otherwise. We will wait for the Talk at availability, uh, of course, with three goalies on the ice. They're not all going to be out there necessarily for the whole time, so it could easily be nothing. We will wait to see what Rick Talkett has to say. Uh, in the meantime, is there anything else you want to get into about the game last night before we move on to well, one thing the greatest w- thing in sports radio, trade speculation? <laughs> No, I just one thing I'd note is you don't usually practice with three goaltenders. Simple logistics. There's only two nets. Um, the fact that Silovs was kept up for practice, right, which isn't a little thing, particularly when you're a goalie, right? All mm-hmm. it takes is one puck hitting you wrong, and you're on IR, and that becomes a headache for a team, particularly three weeks ahead of the deadline. Like, there's a reason you practice with three goaltenders in the circumstances. Uh, that would you know, and granted, this is one of those could age really poorly. This is this would be my reaction watching from the stands. Would be very probably Demko's departure was planned. Okay, that would just be my gut reaction in the stands. That's my gut reaction to Randy's report. Just going to pass that along as we wait for further updates yep. following Canucks practice out at UBC. We will see as soon as we hear anything else. Anything else of note from Canucks practice? We will let you know. And, and people say Canucks media is prone to drama. <laughs> Look at us being responsible. <laughs> Look at us. <laughs> We're doing it. We're acting like real journalists. You're no, a real journalist. I'm, I'm not. I'm, I doubt that. <laughs> uh, speaking of real journalists, our guy, Frank Saravelli, NHL insider, <laughs> the Daily Faceoff. How love, dare I, you? I love Frank. I'm How dare you? A regular contributor here on Sportsnet 650 was on of Halford and Bruff. This morning had a couple of interesting notes about the Canucks, most notably on Brock Besser. Here's what uh, some of what Saravelli had to say about Brock Besser. As I've continued to make my calls around the league, I'm told that uh, we do have a little bit of clarity in the sense that 
I'm told the Canucks are willing to entertain the idea of retaining salary on Besser. And so that's sort of been that question mark that everyone's been curious about. Uh, you know, will they do it? I, I don't think it'll be a ton. I mm-hmm. think it, you know, it's probably in the million dollar range, give or take a couple bucks. And that makes sense because he's not that far overpaid. It's just the term is the consideration. So we know they need to create salary cap flexibility. I think they're really antsy to do it and do it before the deadline. And retaining a small amount on Besser is one way to do it. So I'm told from teams that have talked to them that that is the the path that they are willing to consider for the right deal. And Cervelli, that was Frank Cervelli on with Halford and Bruff this morning. He went on to say that, obviously, if you're retaining, you're also expecting some sort of better return uh, in that scenario. And it could be the sort of thing where it bumps a potential return for Brock Besser from, say, a third-round pick to potentially a second-round pick. That was Cervelli's additional information on the idea of the Canucks entertaining the idea of retaining salary on Brock Besser. Sorry, so getting a second-round pick back? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, like that that becomes a pretty interesting proposition to me. If you're talking about you're retaining a million dollars, so you're still clearing $5.5 million on Brock Besser – but you're getting a second round pick in this draft right now. You have that clarity going to the deadline, or sorry, going to the summer and the draft and free agency that you've opened up that cap space. Like that's pretty interesting. I'd far rather have cleared that five five by just doing it with Kuzmenko and not committing that money, right? Like that's the problem, right? Is like the opportunity to do that came without you having to retain. Yeah, you know. So again, it's one of those like small wins, but it's not a process win. Right, the, the the it's not the short position on the Islanders, which is like, daggone it, that's Nailed smart, it. that's smart business, you know. The, it's it's sort of like okay, I mean it makes sense considering their position. No, no and it's one still theoretical, obviously. Yeah. Like, we'll see if that actually materializes. But as an idea, as a concept, as something the club's looking to do, fine. It's just. It's not the best option that was available to them. It's yeah. just not the worst. The thing is, and I understand, you know, you've talked a lot about hold and try to rebuild Besser's value as much as you can as that money ticks off his contract, then he be- it becomes easier to move. And I do understand that. I think there's value to getting the second round pick right now, having the salary cap flexibility going forward, especially in this situation where it's not, you know, you're retaining and taking on a contract for next year. You're getting a really meaningful chunk of salary cap space. And the other thing is, you know, they just have so many players now like Besser whose value they need to manage. There's only so many spots. There's only so many guys you can put in the really premium positions to juice their stats and juice their numbers. Like, they're probably still looking at Connor Garland in that way. I hope they are. I hope they're not considering a buyout of Connor Garland. I hope they're looking for ways that they can resuscitate his value and get some sort of return for him as well. I think they should be looking at Anthony Beauvillier in that light as well. And he's been playing with Elias Pettersson and getting uh, first power play opportunities, right? Even Andre Kuzmenko. At a certain point, you want to make sure you have options with him down the road. You probably want to get him back into a better spot. So I get the idea of, you know, hold. He's he's worth more than a second-round pick. Get his value back up. But there's risk attached to that as well. And again, there's only so many people they can do that with. They have a lot of bad deals that they should, should be trying to prop up in terms of value uh, right now, Drancer. Yeah, no, I mean, fair enough. The, you know... Uh, 
I just think Besser's good. <laughs> like what it comes down to is that I just think Besser's a good player. But look, you get, yeah, you get a second round pick, especially if it's twenty twenty three second. I mean, that could be Lucas Dragasevich. That could be Samuel or sorry Etienne Moren. Samuel Moren's the Philadelphia Flyer or the former Flyer. Um, you know, that could be Maxim Starbuck. Like that, that could be a really good right handed defensive prospect for this club. And I can't think of much that they need more than that, including a player who I still rate in in Besser. So you know, again. Not not a huge issue with it so much as I just view it as something where, um, you know, there were other ways to achieve this. Uh, Tyler texted, how likely is it for Brock to turn it around, though? I'm not sure if Tyler means here or somewhere else. And somebody else replied to me on Twitter earlier today. You know, uh, this was uh, Deaky Pete on Twitter. Uh, I feel like with Besser, we all know his stock is low. We all know his injury is affecting how he started the season. We all know he's going to be like a 30 to 35 goal scorer wherever he goes. And we're just going to do it anyway. It would not shock me in the least if wherever Brock Besser goes, he refines yeah. his form and plays really well. Like, not shock well, me in the least. Especially because if you put him on a team that can move the puck and attack as a, as a unit, like, you you get Brock Besser more chances in space off the rush to shoot, he's going to score more. He's going to look better. Like, you know? Yeah. F- but the thing is, those things that you just mentioned aren't going to happen here. Uh, you know what I mean? Not short term. Not in the short term, and he's probably not going to be here long term. No. We see where that's going, right? So I think well, to at me, some point you just got to accommodate the player too. I don't Yeah, he needs a fresh start. He that's does. pretty clear. It's not going to happen here. Like whatever ceiling he still has left, whatever you think his ceiling is, he's not going to reach it here. The fact that there's a good chance or a decent chance that he hits it somewhere else doesn't mean the Canucks should be holding on to him for dear life. You know what I mean? No. It's like, look, it's going to be better somewhere else. That's fine. You just have to bake that into your expectations for the trade. You can't be upset when he goes on and plays well somewhere else. you got to get what you can for him right now. I, I still think Dallas is a really interesting potential trade partner because you know that they're going to be in the market for wings, and I suspect that they're going to be reticent to part with their best artillery. It, it, by which I mean mm. Logan Stankoven, right? Like, I, I don't think... I think it would have to be a massive oh, needle, I just, I just needle mover. I just yeah. don't think they're going to do it. I just fundamentally don't think they're going to do it. Um, I think they're going to hold tight to that second-round pick, which has hit and then some. Uh, I think Stankoven's going to be in their top nine next year, and I think he's going to be effective in year one. So how can the stars improve? Cause it's pretty clear that they want a scoring winger, an additional scoring winger for their forward group. The Gurionov Hadobin deals loom large for me, particularly if for a Canucks team where it's like, you kind of just need a warm body to give you games and goal down the stretch anyway. Yeah. You're not going to hesitate about waving Delia. Uh, I mean, he's on emergency recall, so you won't have to anyway, but you will, if you have to terminate the conditions on that deal at any point, uh, Gurionov doesn't play for them. And that's like an interesting lottery ticket who makes sense for the Canucks to have a look at, particularly given his pedigree, given his past success, given his age, given the fact that for the Stars, you know, just moving off that deal would be a a net positive, actually part of what would juice your return. Like that to me is a team where, you know, I don't know that they're going to be players for the Myers and Patrick Kane's of the world, although Mm -hmm. they they might try to be, especially for Patrick Kane. the way the market's developing for him, yeah, who knows yeah. What, what it's going to ultimately who, who take. Who knows if he'll even if if he'll do consent it. to being dealt. Yeah. Um, but if they strike out on those guys, you know, I really do sort of wonder about the fit there. Would they be willing to take on a little more term than your average buyer 
in exchange for you really freeing up their their space to add um you know this uh, this year cuz that, that's a team that's really good. Yeah, they're good. So, and the West is super wide open. Super right wide now, open. They're primed to go well, for it. And they're at the top of their division. So, you know, I sort of look at that as a really interesting possibility, despite the fact that, you know, I, I don't know that those teams necessarily are like the easiest of bedfellows <laughs> based on based on the litigious history between uh, the two owners. But speaking of teams that might be uh, more comfortable trading partners, one of the other teams that Cerebelli mentioned, or one of the specific teams he mentioned, is Pittsburgh. Um, and I think that's interesting because obviously they have uh, Jason Zucker, who's expiring after yeah, this year. Yeah, but he's playing too well. Well, but I'm not even saying necessarily that you get that they give him back right now. But it's like let's say the Canucks retain a million. Jason Zucker's making 5.5 right now, so Besser then basically becomes 5.5 for them. But I'm just next saying, year. Why Pittsburgh? Why would Pittsburgh trade the faster player who's playing better right now? No, no, no. But I'm saying maybe they keep Zucker. But because he's a UFA, then oh, Besser takes Besser. his salary spot next year. Got but it, you keep okay. Zucker in the trade, so you have them both so for the what, playoff what you, run. You're, you're, but then he basically but you're just still slots taking in. money back. You still have that. to take money back for this year. So Kapanen I don't know what it would something. be. Kapanen probably. Yeah, but I mean, I think I think the Canucks every day lose a trade in which you retain on Besser for Kapanen. Yeah, but it could, what if you get the second round pick too? No, I, I then the value's all out of whack, and I don't see Pittsburgh doing it. All right, you know, so it's like. Because I think the key with Besser is to find the team where it doesn't blow up their salary structure for next year, right, or the year after that. Like that's what that's been the big Minnesota hangup. Yeah. Hey, look, and it's a real one. I, I I'm just I'm just saying I'm looking around. I'm even looking at the fact that the Canucks had to find a way to make a Bo Horvat trade cap neutral for their trade partner, and I'm fading the idea that Besser can move before the deadline. I just think it's too hard to Houdini that. Uh, over the next three weeks that's that's my expectation at this point I'm not saying it won't happen again one of those takes that could age badly but I I think it's going to be really tough to move out that salary and as a result I think if they make that deal it's going to be a stinker like I think it's going to be something like you know Besser with retention for a worse player who also has term left and maybe a draft pick but probably not a second and at that point I'm just like why what's what's the point yeah, to me, you need to get Besser for a second with you taking no long-term money back is one thing. Yeah, that's but I don't. I would be shocked if that deal's out there. I'd expect something, you know, if you can far do far less impressive. If you can do that, that's a great deal. Yeah, if that's not on the table, then wait till the summer, right? If something yeah. much worse than that is the only thing that's on the table, then I have no problem waiting to the summer, seeing what's out there, all of that stuff. But again, if 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 that is available to you. Cut bait, take it. Like, just end it, right? As you said, you got to do right by the player sometime. There's there's desire for a fresh start. You're getting enough value to make it worth your while there. Yeah, and you have to do right by the player, but you also have to protect your interests, oh, yeah. right? And and so it's like the Luke Shen one's a really interesting one for me because I think they've already crossed the Rubicon in terms of doing right by the player. I think, it, I think it's already gone on too long. But I still don't know that you extend him for that, you know, just out of, like, no. reasons of you know humanity so it, it, it's a tough one like it's a it's a really delicate balance that's why uh that's why managers pay the big bucks <laughs> yes indeed uh the other just interesting note we won't play the clip but uh, it came up in uh in cervelli's hit with halford and Bruff, and he wrote it in his updated uh kind of trade board trade targets rankings uh niels hoaglander enters those rankings at 21 now the interesting thing here is and the way cervelli frames it it's not so much that the Canucks are shopping Niels Hoaglander, but the way he says it is uh, to the point where they've essentially said to teams that are 
they're talking to, tell us who you're interested in, and there has been interest in Hoaglander, which is no surprise, no. right? If, if the Canucks just say, hey, who do you like in our organization, it's no surprise that a good young player is going to come up in those talks. But the moment they brought Oman, Pod Colson, and who else did they bring up? Di Giuseppia, mm-hmm. and left Hoaglander, who was like absolutely Oman and Pod Colson's peer in terms of NHL experience, in terms of usability... Like, that told you everything you needed to know. I wonder, though, if that's about preserving eligibility for the AHL playoffs, right? Yeah, but you could still, well, because you couldn't clear, yeah, maybe. You know what I mean? If he comes up and plays games between now and yeah, then, yeah, you then, can't send him back down. Yep. So keep him down until he's eligible, then you can bring him up. Yeah, that, and that, then you can go back. I wa- that's one of what I'm curious about. I just, it's such a tough dynamic with a player who's produced the way that Hoaglander has to have him in the American League for this sort of stretch during a contract year. Like, that's something players hate. That's something agents hate. That's something that puts a real strain on relationships. And so, you know, ever since they didn't call him back up, and, and you know, the the we talked about that the day it happened, mm-hmm. right? The the eligibility reasoning being a, being a po- po- possible partial explanation. I got stuck between possible and partial there. Pop, pop, pop. <laughs> anyway... Um, so, you know, I, I, I read that. I just, the moment they did that, I sort of wondered, could there be something there in terms of, you know, a a move that makes sense for all sides? Yeah. I, it wouldn't also at some point, don't you have to monetize your glut of wingers? You would think so. And Hoaglander or Pod Colson are your best bets to do it. And Pod Colson's got the uniquer profile, particularly given the coach that you've hired and what you prize, uh, in, in terms of play style, right? I mean... Yeah, Pod Colson's the guy who's up and working with Rick Tockett right now and tr- trying to learn the things that Rick Tockett wants to, and the, the Canucks want to teach. So they obviously see some sort of value to having him up here. He's the guy getting the shot with Elias Pettersson, although it didn't really go very well last night. No, and uh, <laughs> well, I'll, trans- I'll use that to transition to update from Canucks practice because, first of all, no Curtis Lazar, no Oliver Ekman Larson, which is no surprise. Both left. We'll wait to see. Tockett said they weren't severe last night, but yeah. admitted that he hadn't talked to the doctors. When I think it was, he was more certain about Lazar and kind of a little bit of uncertainty about OEL. Yeah. So we'll see uh, what the update, if any, is on them. But the line shakeup, and con- as you know, Tockett continues to kind of find who he likes where in the hey, lineup. Can I, can I ask you a question before you go? Yeah. Just tell me one thing. Who's Shen playing with? Kyle Burrows. Oh. Without OEL. So it's, we'll do the defense first. Hughes and Bear, Kyle Burrows, Luke Shen, Riley Stillman, and Tyler Myers. I actually don't hate (laughs) Kyle Burrows and Luke Shen, especially compared to OEL and Luke Shen together. I love Kyle Burrows. That's tough. There's there's nowhere you can put Kyle Burrows in the lineup that I won't be like, (laughs) yeah. That's gonna. That I'm interested to see it. Try him at third line center. Why not? <laughs> I just, you know, like at the end of the day, Kyle Burrows is the sort of guy who, if I'm the Canucks right now at this point, I'd be like legitimately trying out in top four minutes. Like, could he be my Mike Weaver? And the answer is almost certainly no. But yep. it's like I'd at least see it because he's he's the profile of a guy who just never really gets an extended opportunity, but well, but might be able to do something. And the great with thing it. with where the Canucks are right now is. There's not really a lot of downside to any experiment because, like, worst case scenario is it makes you worse on the ice. And you're like, oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. Kyle Burroughs had a brutal turnover in high leverage minutes for us, and we lost the game. The worst, ah! ca- the, the worst case scenario is that lightning strikes 
and Lariana of yells, it's alive. <laughs> sure. Little, okay. little Igor joke for you. Yes, very good. Um, at forward, uh, Patterson with Kuzmenko. Kuzmenko getting bumped up after a strong showing against the Rangers. And Beauvillier, Miller with Phil DiGiuseppe and Connor Garland. Jack Stanika drawing back into the lineup, skating between Vasily Podkolzin at and center. Brock Besser. At yep. center. Okay. And then Joshua Oman and Sheldon Dries on the fourth line. So, yeah, Studnika coming in and taking that Sheldon Dries spot as the uh, as the third line center. So, Pud Coles and do you think do you think Rick Tockett likes it enough to stick with it through a whole period against the Philadelphia Flyers? Because he didn't boy. like he didn't last time. No, I don't know. He he is still very much in fact finding mode with these players. Like, there's a lot of moving around within games, moving around between positions. Not for Phil DiGiuseppe. Not for Phil DiGiuseppe. Hey, he played well last night. Sure. He did. Sure. You're going to sit here and deny that Phil DiGiuseppe played I'm, well? I'm just not here for the, like, he brings us an identity word salad. It's like, he better be. He better bring you an identity. Like, bad team down the stretch. Guy's going to get a run of 15 NHL games, which he hasn't gotten in three years. Like, he better be playing his best hockey of his life. Come on. Doesn't mean he's bringing identity. Like, if Phil DiGiuseppe is bringing identity to this team's top yeah. six. Oh, boy. Like, I'm just not here for that, you know? At the end of the day, kudos to him. You know I'm on the Phil DiGiuseppe bandwagon. <laughs> right? I've been I've been banging the tables talking about him being a legit NHL player. I love my fringe guys. I thought Dakota Ky- Joshua had a good Kyle game. Kyle Burrows. Yeah, Kyle Burrows, Dakota Joshua, Sheldon Dries. I ride for all these guys. Like, I actually think they can be useful as, like, 12th, 13th forwards. Like, maybe, maybe even, like, that fourth line you just read to me. Niels Amon, Dakota Joshua, Sheldon Dries. It's like, you throw Phil D. Giuseppe in that mix and have, like, those four guys at the bottom end of a good team's lineup, and I'm like, that's totally fine. You probably don't even need, like, maybe you want one more penalty killer. Mm. But, you know, I I mean, I kind of think that guy can be Joshua. Like, I like Joshua on the PK. So, anyway, I'm just saying, that's totally fine. That's so far from this team's problems. Those guys are fine. And Phil DiGiuseppe's played really well, and good for him for taking advantage of the opportunity. I'm just saying we're like I'm, we can't get carried away with the Phil DiGiuseppe identity thing. Like that's I'm not. Hey man, I'm all not I, doing it. All I said was he played well. You brought up identity. <laughs> I didn't say anything about well, identity. I was, I was reacting to Rick Talkie yesterday. I know he did play well though. Anyway, I know, but we I, don't. Like, have, you're right. We don't have to go farther than that. Phil Phil DiGiuseppe as. Every game cited bright spot for the Canucks is like honestly going to test my will to like live. I'm just over Im- the balance of this. I'm season. just imagining a scenario, and uh, he's a UFA. But let's say he's back with the organization next year. Oh, he's through some circumstances. What do you mean through some circumstances? He's going to be back. Yeah, but he you know finds himself in a regular like third line role. You know, twelve goals before the deadline. And it's going to be like, well, you can't trade Phil DiGiuseppe. <laughs> he provides identity. He's hey, the ident- like, look how hard he works out there. By the way, go look at his career NHL scoring rates. Like, if you're telling me that Phil DiGiuseppe is going to be a third liner on this team next year, I'm not critic. I'm not even going to be critical of that. That's not going to be what holds them back. You know, like I like Phil DiGiuseppe enough that if he has an everyday top nine spot next year, I'm going to be like, fine, that's great, no problem with that. Just, just. You know, brings identity. Just keep it in perspective. Yeah, just keep it in perspective. I think that's what that's what we're and, saying. And here. like, we really don't need to do the like wider identity conversation. Or like, if or or like, I don't want to see no one text into the six fifty six fifty inbox 
um, if everyone worked as hard as Phil DiGiuseppe, <laughs> this team would be like, I, that's the sort of stuff I'm not, I'm not doing. I'm just not. Uh, somebody texted him, by the way, just a few minutes ago. Hey guys, I'm the sarcastic texter from yesterday. And I, I texted back. You're going to have to narrow it down. <laughs> we, we get a lot of, Nicely we get a done. lot of sarcastic texters. What exactly, what exactly bit of sarcasm did you text in? Uh, on that note, we will go to break. Uh, Justin Cuthbert. From Toronto, the Fan 590, the morning show in Toronto will join us uh, to talk some hockey. Next, that's coming up. Here it is, Canucks Talk, Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Canucks Talk, Sportsnet 650 with Jamie Dodd and Thomas Drance. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment, your Kubota all-star team, avenuemachinery.ca, douglaslakeequipment.com. We are coming to you live from the Kintec studio, Kintec Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at kintec.net. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Uh, Justin Cuthbert from the Fan Morning Show at our sister station in Toronto. Now very pleased to be joined by him on the line here on Canucks Talk. Justin, thanks very much for doing this. How are you? Hey, not a problem. I'm pretty I'm uh, pretty good. How about yourself? We're doing great. Just having the time of our lives watching and covering the Vancouver Canucks, I would say. Um, we're much better to have you on the line, Justin. Good to hear from you. Yeah, good to, good to hear you, Drance. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, one of my uh, – so I'm up here, obviously, Fan Morning Show 6 to 9 – I'm up at about 4.30 in Toronto, so one of my like favorite routines is immediately turning on my phone, scrolling Twitter, and it's like all Canucks commentary after a game night because that's like what's left in the, on the phone. So I feel like I have like I have like a weird experience with the Canucks this year, given that it's like exclusively at 4.30 in the morning, and for the most part, it's been kind of negative, I gotta be honest. It's as dark out while you're scrolling Twitter as it has been for our Black Hearts watching this team <laughs> play. From afar, Justin, like, w- what's been your key takeaway, whether you're perusing the Twitter feed or just reading articles about what has happened in Vancouver? Like, what's your key takeaway? What is this team in your view? I think it's just, like, complete dysfunction across the board, right? Mm-hmm. Like, there's been so much... Uh, talk about how, hey, you know, you know, we're putting together this new management team and it's going to be completely different, and yet it fell into the exact same trap. And I guess you're, you're kind of asking your question, you guys have been asking the question, of course, of why that happened. And I haven't really figured it out, right? Jim Rutherford is a guy who's had immense success, went to the Hall of Fame. I was at a ceremony where he was getting uh, inducted into the Hall of Fame. And it's like this is an immensely respected person who had such recent success and all of a sudden, the, the same script is being written with someone who was supposed to do things uh, completely different. And I guess when you're not on the same page, it's difficult to pick a lane. And despite like all the convergence of talent in recent he- uh, history here or since Jim Rutherford came in, not all that talent was on the same page. And when you mix that with a uh, clearly flawed roster, uh, you got I guess you get the results that we got. Justin... Let's do a, so we like to do a segment here and I like to explain it to our guests before I do it, but I call it, give me your tears. And I ask people to tear various things, uh, in terms of, uh, contenders, usually in the Pacific division, but with you, we want to take, uh, people around the league. Give me your tier of like the inner circle. Who's in your inner circle of 
cup contenders around the league for this season? Who inner circle of cup contenders? Uh, well, we got to start in the Atlantic Division, I suppose, uh, and I think we have to start with Boston, and we probably have to go Tampa Bay next. But clearly, uh, covering this uh, Maple Leafs team uh, pretty in depth, uh, despite how successful they've been this year and how successful they've been in recent seasons i just don't see them quite on the same level at least when you compare some key things when looking at boston and tampa bay Uh, i think uh, tampa bay is the perfect example of a team that can pace itself i don't think they've exited third gear yet and if they have they just have because they're playing better hockey lately uh catching the maple leafs at least by points percentage briefly there this week uh those two teams until further notice have to be in that tier. Uh, staying in the Eastern Conference and, and assuming that the Leafs are just on the outside, I don't know if I'm quite willing to put Carolina there yet. Like I mm. understand how good this team has been, how good this team is now, how well they generally play in the standard that they, that they keep. Uh, but they've kind of been that same story over and over and over again. And yes, they've made moves to address uh, certain things. Um, the Max Pacioretty uh, acquisition uh, clearly isn't going to work as anticipated. And I think Brent Burns is having a pretty sizable effect, but I think everything would change if they went out and got another impact forward and someone who can help them score goals when it matters most uh, in a Timo Meyer before the deadline. I think they have maybe the most gain before the deadline and they mm. could break into that tier. The Rangers, I'm not really sure. That's a really talented roster. That's a team that obviously went to the Eastern Conference Final last year buoyed by a tremendous goaltender and a a top four defensive core that I really believe in. Uh, And they've added talent and they have some really, really good talent and some young guys who can give you a little bit of internal improvement. Uh, But that would probably be my five pack, at least in the Eastern conference. And I'm a little less sure out West. Okay. We know the Colorado story. We know they're probably uh, a sleeping giant to a certain extent, but I'm not going to ignore the fact that they've been hurt by the cost of winning. The cost of winning a Stanley Cup, it's, it's inevitable, and only teams like the Tampa Bay Lightning seem to be able to overcome um, such realities in the NHL. Uh, I guess you could look at the Oilers next, but I think it requires a pretty sizable uh, upgrade at the trade deadline, and I think they, they should have all the motivation in the world to do that. But beyond that, like you're looking at the Pacific Division, and, and Seattle and L.A., I'm not convinced they can win a Stanley Cup. I think Vegas is still really, really dealing with, you know, the rush to try and win and maybe cutting corners on the way to doing that. And in the central division, uh, I'm just not sure anyone could compete with Colorado in the end. Uh, Maybe I don't know enough about Winnipeg yet, but uh, to put them over Colorado, even if Colorado has to go through the wild card, uh, I'm not yet convinced. Maybe they could have a big deadline as well. But if I'm looking at, you know, a select group of teams, it seems like it's Colorado out west. Tampa and Boston, the Eastern Conference, and and I do think uh, a team like Carolina could get in there, and I think Edmonton, if they really stretch themselves, could get to that point as well. So notable there, Justin. No mention of uh, of the Leafs in the inner circle for for Stanley Cup contenders. What do you think they have to do by the deadline to to launch themselves into that category? Well, there's just too many. There's just too many areas of need, right? And, and, I, and I do think they could fault themselves in there, and I do think they compete with the likes of Tampa and Boston. Like, I, I, I think we could get to the point where it comes down to a Game 7. It comes down to just a key moment at a key time that really separates these teams. But I do think over the course of four rounds and having probably the most difficult path, or certainly the most difficult path, 
um, through the postseason that the issues that they do have, the warts that they do have, which I'm not convinced they can address in one fell swoop, uh, can get them through. Um, there's clearly some depth issues. Uh, if you look at, like, we've seen Austin Matthews uh, out of the lineup for the last three weeks, and that really changed the dynamic of this team. All of a sudden, the top four doesn't have the same punch, and one player having to elevate in the roster really exposes what is some pretty thin margins, uh, at least for the Maple Leafs. I think their defense core is designed to be really good in the regular season and could be a trouble point in the postseason. And, of course, we have no idea what we're going to get with Matt Murray, if he's going to be available. And despite how good Ilya Samsonov has been, um, I think he still has to prove it. So uh, with the Maple Leafs, I think there's every reason to be aggressive at the deadline, but I think they have to play by one key rule, which is you can't impact next season. Which sounds crazy, right? The Leafs haven't won a playoff series in forever, and they've got a lame duck general manager, and you need to win this season or else everything could go up in smoke. Austin Matthews can sign an extension this summer, July 1. But next year is the year where it seems like they're best suited to win. They have the best opportunity to win because a team like Boston might not have Patrice Bergeron anymore. And if they do, uh, the contract that he signed this year will hurt them next year boston's not going to be as good you'd think tampa wouldn't be as good finally i think next year is the year if they can keep their their uh their core pieces in place and add and continue to um work at this roster which still has some flaws so if you're hurting next year i don't think it's worth it because you have such a tough path and i'm not sure you can get good enough uh but if you can make a deal where you can get a defenseman like a Jacob Chikrin or a Jake McCabe or someone who has a reasonable salary already, cut that in half, have them for two or three playoff runs. Now that makes sense because you're helping this year and you're helping next. And that's what I'd invest assets in, but I can't do anything right now that hurts the 2024 playoffs. Yeah. And as you mentioned, I mean, the Eastern conference is so stacked. Some, like, as you said, the Leafs are going to have a really difficult path through the playoffs, but just in general in the East, you know, some very good teams are going to be going home disappointed after the first round. And, you know, one of the best parts of a job like we have is interacting with the fans, hearing about what the fans think. And, you know, I'm sure that's a big part of your experience with Leafs fans as well. Just just how fatalistic are they about the fact that they're going to have to face Tampa Bay in round one again here? Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, it's not a surprise, right? Like, I think if they were like, if there was any other way, it'd be a little bit more interesting and there'd be a little bit more dread maybe. But I think they've I think everyone has been resigned to the fact that they're going to be have to face Tampa and then they're going to have to face Boston if they are so lucky to get through Tampa because we've known this forever. Um, and I still think that people I, – I expected things to be a little bit more – I wouldn't say apathetic, but they've gone through a couple stages here. And maybe if it was apathy last year, it's maybe a little bit more of a hopefulness because how long can you be apathetic? Because the fact of the matter is, the fans truly care about this team and maybe they've gone through that phase where it's like, well, I'm just, I, I, I'm, I'm done until they actually went around. I think they tried that on for one year and now it's not exactly like you don't want to do that forever. So I think they're kind of coming through and maybe a little bit on that upswing. But again, this is going to all depend on what they do in the first round. And I think maybe the difference in this conversation as opposed to last would be that, hey, there might actually be change if it doesn't work at the end of the season because we know Kyle Dubas's situation coming into this year without a contract extension, at least we believe. Um, and, and maybe if things don't work, everyone will be like, okay, 
uh, it didn't work. We got to try something and maybe we can be hopeful when something else or someone new is at the wheel. So maybe there's at least like an ultimatum at the end. There's a put up or shut up tied to this season. And maybe that gives fans at least, yeah, I think they understand how good things have been under Dubas, but at least you're looking at some sort of conclusion, something different other than, Hey, we tell the same story every year. And as someone who wrote about the Leafs for a long time before now talking about the Leafs on the radio, like it got really tiresome writing the exact same story every year because that's simply what the Maple Leafs have authored. We have no idea what that's like in covering the Vancouver Canucks. Hey, uh, Justin, um, <laughs> look, as regular listeners of this show will tell you, if we were covering the Leafs, A, I'd be a fan, and B, I would be hammering the table about misaligned incentives going into the season with a lame duck gem- general manager considering the stakes for this franchise. Wh- why did they let it get to this point? Yeah, I don't really know. It doesn't really sense, make sense to me. I think it was one of the real major questions coming from, you know, the first the, the, the first and primary storylines when we went to training camp and media day and we're talking about this team right off the bat and they went through their struggles early on in the season because this is, as everyone understands, the financial juggernaut. Like, you didn't have to put yourself in a position where every move Kyle Dubas makes is scrutinized and he doesn't – and we don't know if he has – uh, you know, the full, uh, every single resource at his expense where he could do whatever he wants. Does he have full autonomy? I think they let those questions linger. And those questions are coming to the fore now because we don't know exactly what Kyle Dubas will be allowed to use in terms of deadline tools. Uh, they could have easily signed him to a one-year extension. Maybe they tried to, and maybe Kyle Dubas didn't want that because he's so confident in himself and assured of himself. And frankly, he should be because if he's, a free agent this summer, uh, there are going to be teams lining up to try and get him to run their hockey operation. So maybe he thought the one-year deal is not the best thing for him, but it does add a layer of speculation where it's, you know, we are constantly talking about, hey, does he even have the ability to trade Matthew Nyes if he wants to? Does he Is he planning an Alex Anthopoulos-like departure where he trades everything and everything and leads the, leaves the next generation or the next iteration of this team without anything in the cupboards? It, it seems really far-fetched to believe that he would really tear it down and, and leave this team worse than it should be because he is managing for his next job. But that wasn't a problem for Alex Anthopoulos. The Atlanta Braves saw, and it took a, it took a while, I guess he had to take a, a step back and, and do a lesser job with the LA Dodgers for a few years. But everyone understood that Alex Anthopoulos was still a really, really smart managerial mind, and now he's prove that he can win and put together a World Series uh, type of team with the Atlanta Braves. So I, I think that's a layer of speculation they could have avoided. But again, we're speculating on whether or not there was another option. And Shanahan maybe wanted one year and Kyle Dubas didn't want one year. But again, the, the pockets couldn't be deeper. Uh, so if they wanted to eliminate this, I think they could. And if they wanted to move on from Kyle Dubas, even with a multi-year extension, they could have. Well, yeah. I mean, the thing is, is once you get down to, are we going to do an extra year or not? You're not in on the manager. Like you should make a change at that point. Anyway, let's move on. I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask you to give me your tears one last time. Pivoting off the Dubas conversation. Inner circle of NHL general managers who should be feeling the heat under pressure between now and the deadline on March third. Ooh, that's a good one. Uh, okay. Uh, I'm going to stick with, uh, teams that I think, well, actually, no, I should probably, uh, 
you know, extend it to pretty much everyone, including the bottom of the barrel. Right. Uh, I, I guess Kyle Davidson should be under some sort of pressure, but I weirdly think he's under, I, I, I think things could clear up for him or become a little bit easier. Like if Patrick Kane just says, Hey, I, I only want to go to the Maple Leafs. And if you make that happen, then that's great. If not, we'll just ride this out. And if that's public knowledge, then yeah, he could get whatever he wants or he could sit on it and it's not really a big deal. So well, looking at that team, I was trying to like figure out could could the Toronto Maple Leafs make a trade with Chicago? And going through it, it's just like no, the assets just aren't good <laughs> enough. And I guess he'll be he'll be criticized in the end if he doesn't do much. But if you don't have much to give, uh, what are you going to do? I, I think Mike Greer probably has a lot on his shoulders right now. I mean, mm. navigating the Timo Meyer situation is difficult in that this is really a unicorn type of asset that's on the trade block. We don't often see. Uh, a restricted free agent of his caliber on the market or available, but especially one owed $10 million. I think it's a layer of intrigue that uh, is going to be difficult for a rookie general manager to deal with. And we'll see what happens. And of course he's got the Eric Carlson thing. I wonder how much control he has though, because well, if Eric Carlson's going to get traded, it's on has no platter to uh, decide if he wants to eat all that money or, and, you know, sit on $20 million that uh, won't give you anything uh, at least inside your arena. So uh, I think at, at the bottom, least he's, end, if there's one owner who can afford it, it's it's him. <laughs> well, that, well, that's good. But uh, not, I don't know if you get rich, uh, you get rich for a reason. You don't like, uh, wasting money. So I think that's a key one. I think I think San Jose's got to do something to sort of set this thing in the in the right uh, direction. I mean, I, I'd be looking at Vancouver, but honestly, I don't know exactly what they could do. The the premium assets are the ones you want to keep around and the rest of it is kind of fluff. Um, And I I guess a team like Carolina does come to mind again. Like I I think Carolina has every reason to push. I think they've had that standard and I think they're one of the more structured, well-coached teams in the NHL, but they've reached a ceiling and they've hit that ceiling over and over and over again. And I think it behooves them to really, really get aggressive and try to make something of this, uh, this uh, moment in their history. A few more minutes here with Justin Cuthbert from our sister station, Fan 590, in Toronto. And, you know, you mentioned Eric Carlson from a Sharks perspective there. Uh, one of the teams we've heard rumored to be interested in Eric Carlson is the Edmonton Oilers. I don't know. I mean, when you think of, like, the cap manipulations and gymnastics and the assets that would have to be going back the other way, what do you think about Edmonton potentially being in the running for Eric Carlson? Well, yeah, I, I guess we should sort of uh, amend my previous answer because the Oilers have every reason <laughs> in the world to be aggressive. Uh, I mean, we understand the situation with McDavid and Dreisaitl. It's not dire. It's not urgent. They have them for uh, a good chunk of their careers still guaranteed, and, and hopefully with you know how good they're, how good of a friendship they've, they've formed, uh, that helps the Edmonton Oilers retain those two. But who cares about what, you know, uh, a first round pick that you're going to use this year or next year or the year after that, like you have to spend and exhaust all your resources to get better. And I think one of the, one of the real things that's tripped up the Edmonton Oilers is just that Ken Holland seems to lack creativity. He seems to be unable to find the means that other general managers do use to improve their hockey team. It seems like he's, if it's a free agent, yeah, he'll explore the free agency, the free agent market. But other than that, he doesn't really know how to put together um, creative ways to supplement his roster. And my, I mean, if Eric Carlson landed with the Edmonton Oilers, it would be an absolute treat. It would be must-watch television every night. It would be outstanding, and it's what the playoffs and the stretch run needs is adding a Norris Trophy, the presumptive Norris Trophy winner, at least in my eyes, 
to the best partnership in my eyes in hockey uh, between Connor McDavid and Leon Draisaitl. So if they could add Eric Carlson, they should, and they should use no, no asset should not be on the table in order to get him. And again, I think it comes down to how palatable it is stomaching that money if you're the San Jose Sharks. But if Eric Carlson is into it, if he wants to be an Edmonton Oiler, the Edmonton Oilers and Ken Holland should be doing everything they can to get him and, and make that team even stronger uh, in the ways that they are already strong, which is high octane offense that can blow you, that can run you out of the building uh, on their best night. Justin, we'll let you go. Uh, I'm sure there'll be some more 4.30 in the morning Canucks panic tweets for you to peruse soon enough. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. All the articles, all the panic tweets, it's, it's, uh, it's, a, nice, it's a nice way to wake up. <laughs> Thanks, JC. Great to chat with you. See you guys. Thanks for having me on. That is Justin Cuthbert, host of the Fan Morning Show uh, at our sister station, Fan 590, in Toronto. Uh, speaking of GMs in interesting positions, did you happen to see some of the quotes from Pierre Dorian? This morning, he had kind of a like pre-trade deadline media availability, and there were some all-time classics did of he, just like great did, moments in NHL general managing. Did he mention his girlfriend? I don't know. I don't know. Pierre Dorian always mentions his girlfriend. He's always like, "I was with my girlfriend," yeah, and she, yes, or like, true. "My girlfriend was out at a meal." It's like noted girlfriend haver. <laughs> Pierre, Pierre Dorian. Dorian yeah. Yes, it's very impressive. <laughs> um, Is it? <laughs> I don't know if he did that. But he did do, you know, asked if he was going to be a seller or a buyer at the trade deadline. Uh, let's see where these next seven games take us. Ooh. <laughs> That's always a good one. When you're waiting to see what the results of seven games oh, man. tell you about what you're going to do at the deadline. That's a great one. Uh, went on to add, we could be a buyer at certain positions and a seller at certain positions. Uh, so there you go. You know, just waiting to see what happens in the next seven games. And the other one that really stood out to me uh, was that they are not going to move Travis Hamanick, even though he's a pending UFA, because they're very impressed with him and what he's been doing, and they plan to re-sign him. So, there you go. Pierre Dorian in Ottawa. Uh, uh, unlikely though it seems, they may have won <laughs> the Travis Hamanick trade. No! What do you mean? Well, I guess Travis Dermott. Yeah. Canucks got one and a half million in cap space for it, did nothing with it, and then traded a third round pick for a player who's done nothing for them. The Canucks lost the Leafs won the Senators won. The Canucks actually somehow, amazingly. Well, it's tough to. They lost the Travis Hamonic trade. It's tough to. It's tough to do it because it was two trades, though. Right? I know it's tough to face up to. They won the Travis Hamonic deal. They lost the Travis Dermott deal. That's what I would say. It was one deal. It was a three-way deal that didn't have three-way. Like that didn't. Yeah, get yeah, yeah. It wasn't technically that announced, announced as a parts. three-way deal. But I mean, both things were happening at once. The Canucks. The Canucks were the team that did the worst of the three in it. The Canucks lost the Travis Hamnick deal. As as wild as that is to say, that's a truth that we have to accept because it's not even like but it's not even up for debate. No, no, no hold on. Simple. Wouldn't you say you have fact. to evaluate the process of it though? Well, at the time, I thought it was a phenomenal deal. Yeah, yeah. Now, the injury issues with Travis Dermott is what really is leading to them losing it. But I think from a process standpoint, they well, did much better a, than Ottawa. From, from a process standpoint, it was amazing that they got off of Hamannick, and there was always something. I mean, you can go back and listen to our things, our, our, anal our post-trade analysis, where it was like, you know, I'm not sure about using the 1.5 yes, on, on Dermot. Uh, yeah. So, you know, but, but you know, it's it's been amazing, too. Apparently, Hamannick's just been a treat to deal with for media, too, after literally only talking once in his entire Connects tenure, as far as I, I can recall. 
pretty amazing. Yeah, it was a weird experience, the Travis Hamannick <laughs> experience. To put here. it mildly. Anyways, just thought those were uh, some very, very interesting ones uh, to but hear. Look, good for him. At the end of the day, good for him. Oh, for Travis Hamannick, for sure. I you just know. look. Anytime I hear about a not a team that's not in the playoffs, who is no, we're not going to trade our over well, thirty pending UFA. The Ottawa Senators have a Pierre Dorian problem, and that's been evident for a long time to everyone except the hot Pierre summer people. Man, can you believe that that happened? Yeah. He also said there's no chance they're trading Alex DeBrincat at, at the deadline. Zero chance. So, what about qualifying him? Yeah, that's going to be interesting. That's going to be very interesting. Anyways, I just wanted to pass those along. Enough Ottawa Senators talk. We'll get back on to the Canucks talk. Some updates from practice. Uh, more of your thoughts as well. The, the, the Ottawa Senators talk is the Vancouver Canucks talk. It's just 2017. Well, that's that's the thing that really they stood just out haven't to me. they haven't gone through the like one miracle playoff run with a talented young core and a flawed back end. Yeah, and then and then you know immediately coming back to earth. They just haven't gone through that. But what do they have an advantage over the Canucks on? One key thing: absolute cost certainty with their best players. Yep, Josh Norris, Brady Kachuk, Tim Stutzla, all locked up long term. That gives them a very good head start over where the Canucks were five years ago. Uh, 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Keep your thoughts coming in. Final segment of the show. It is Canucks Talk on Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Strands, final segment of the show live from the Kintech studio, 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. What are some highlights? We haven't gone to the inbox yet today. Ooh, some highlights. Well, this one came come in just, uh, just recently. Jamie, why can't you just accept that the Canucks lost both the Hamannick and Dermot trades? So somebody on your side there. <laughs> How no, dare you, They Jamie. won the Hammonick trade. How dare you? I agree with that. How dare you? Uh, I don't know. There's lots of texts coming in. Oh, by the way, I mentioned the guy who texted in saying... Uh, the sarcasm. Yeah, the sarcasm. So he was the one who uh, texted in about a late round pick being a 1 in 500 Oh, man. He triggered me. Yes. He, so That guy is killing it. Is it? Is it... What's his name? Nino from East Van? No, I think that's a different guy. <laughs> Dino. The Italian stallion, I believe. <laughs> We love Dino. Yes, He's Dino's amazing. awesome. No, this, I don't think this is Dino. I could be wrong. If it is Dino, uh, I hope. I, I, I think, hope it's Dino. I think I recognize Dino's number. But anyways, he texts it back in. He says, "I have a good faith response that I want to send." He also says, "I will say apologies for the snideness yesterday." I didn't think you were that snide. Maybe just a little sarcastic. But I didn't. Don't worry. I didn't take it personally. I, I assume you didn't either. I did. Yeah. No. <laughs> but anyways, he says. Uh, uh, he says, "Yes, late round picks have trade value, but be realistic." Regarding what that value tends to be, they tend to be to buy cap space, factor in as secondary pieces, or traded for players like Kratsov or Bear. He also says, don't ru- don't um, rope in a second round pick. A second round is not a late round pick. He's acknowledging the value. Neither there. is a third. Hey, I want to I want to touch on this actually because I was thinking about it while watching the game yesterday. A little bit. The reclamation project thing we talked about it yesterday in in relation to Vitaly Kratsov, right? Mm-hmm. It's a good strategy, in my opinion, but not for the trade market. Okay? 
it's a good strategy. I, I was thinking about it because I was watching Curtis Lecision's kid, Jake Lecision, yep. skate on the fourth line, and the New York Rangers started to use their fourth line a fair bit in the in the third period until the Canucks made it a one-goal game again and the Rangers got serious again. Because, again, the Rangers just don't take the Canucks seriously. But I was watching that guy skate, and I was just like, man, this guy can fly. Like, this guy is an unbelievable skater. And I don't know exactly how old he is, but I think he's like 23. And he's obviously playing a fourth-line center role for them and, you know, minimal usage, but clearly they feel comfortable when games are in hand, (laughs) put him out there. And I was just thinking, like, this guy's the type of reclamation project that makes sense. You get him for free. He has one standout skill, like one plus NHL tool, and you see if you can graft more onto him. And I was thinking about it because, for me, like, the perfect reclamation projects are not the guys you buy with draft picks. It's not Riley Stillman. It's not Ethan Bear. It's not Jax Danica, even though he went for Myron Berg. It's not, who was the other guy? There's one more. There's the, Dermot. Yeah. Travis Dermot. It's Jake LeCision. And it's Neil Zaman, right, who shakes loose because the Avs didn't sign him at the draft. That's a worthwhile reclamation project. You know why? Free. Completely free. Dakota Joshua. Group uh, six free agent, right? Became an unrestricted free agent because he didn't meet the game's played threshold. Great scoring numbers in college. Interrupted AHL career as a result of the pandemic. He's come here. I think he's been a lovely find for the Canucks. And most importantly, free. Free. You want to target 23 to 26-year-old players who could be more for you than they are for other people? Don't do it on the trade market. Do it for free. And the Canucks have actually done a pretty good job of that with Joshua, with Amon, right? It's once you're paying those future assets to do it that I think the the sort of strategy completely falls apart unless, unless you're a team for whom, like, Kratsov hitting and being a middle six forward, like, really changes your ability, like, unless you're a team that's always picking toward the back end of the first yeah, round. Yeah, and you don't, and, and you're not going to have a lot of avenues to getting a guy who can slide in like and, that. And reasonably running at a draft pick deficit, then, hey, like, sprinkle a couple uh, of those bets, fine. That makes sense to me, you know? But if you're the Canucks, the futures matter, and if you're so desperate on getting age gap type players, like, the Canucks have shown the way forward on that, too. It's just not on the trade market that they've done their best work. It's Joshua. It's Oman. It's why didn't this club have a claim in on Jake LeCision considering the center depth in in this organization? Like, those are the ones to go after. It's the the guys that are free. That I can get behind. Josh Mahura would be another one. He went, he went, he's, he's been a nice find for the Florida Panthers. He, it just got extended. I don't think he's much more than a third pair defender, but I also don't think there's a huge gap between him and Ethan Bear. The difference is one was free. Mm. It, it really comes down to, obviously, the cost. And, I mean, I guess you could say opportunity cost as well, right? Even when you're talking about the free players. But that adds up to what? Like a, a spot on your roster and, you know, a, a contract spot. And the thing for me is I think part of rebuilding should be, like, digging for gold. In, in these digging for the diamonds for sure. in the rough. Right? I, I That's one of the problems I have with an approach like... Chicago and Arizona is that sometimes they tip so far that they're not even trying to do those things, right? Like they're so allergic to talent that they're even uh, a little bit wary of doing those sorts of Except things. Except they still found it. They found Sam Lafferty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. I know they do a little bit of it, but well, I, like I think that should absolutely the plan should be like you're cle- you're trading guys 
like Brock Besser, like Connor Garland, etc., so that you can take flyers, cheap, easy flyers on players, hoping that they develop into more. But that can't be the only focus. Well, you know what I mean? That can't be we're going to address the talent gap on our team entirely by doing that. It's like a complementary process to the other stuff you're doing. Right. Well, like, let, you know, the, the, the great reclamation project that the Pittsburgh Penguins took on was Justin Schultz, who they traded a third-round pick for, right? And it's like, that made sense for a team whose weakness was along the blue line, but who was like a perennial contender, right? Like, I don't know that the analogous trade makes sense for the Canucks at this point. You know, at, at the end of the day, if you're talking about the total outflow, the the second, the third, the fifth, and Myrenberg, right, for Stanika, Stillman, Bear, and who's the guy I keep forgetting? Dermot. Dermot. Like, you know, we and we talked about this, like, Second round pick's about a 20% chance of getting a player. Third round pick is a uh, 15% chance of getting a player. The fifth round pick's a 10% chance of getting a player. So you've basically tr- – and, and then Myrenberg, let's let's call him like a 33% chance of getting a player because he's a prospect who's tracked well. Mm-hmm. Right? He'd be like a second or third round pick in a redraft of that, of that class. Well, there you go. Like all of a sudden you're looking at a player who's, who's going to hit – in aggregate, you've traded like one player three years from now for four guys that have helped you what? Be tied with the Arizona Coyotes after 55 games? Who cares? Who cares? Yeah, and the the one who has the most plausible path to being like a future player for you is also complicated because of his contract situation and expensive. his age. He's going to get expensive in a hurry. There's, there's like, I'm all for signing Ethan Bear if you can because I, I like the retrieval skills. I think he's a good player. But, but I mean, how do you get upside on this, right? Like, you're, you're probably looking at a four-plus-million-dollar outlay if you're going past three years. Like, <laughs> at what point does that make sense for you? You know, and, and you need guys to play minutes during these down years. Maybe you like the idea of putting him with Oliver ekman Larson, although the Canucks seem to love mm-hmm. uh, under this coaching staff anyway, like, you know, two plodding defensive guys together. Um, But, uh, but yeah, I mean, I... I'm okay with it as like a guy to play minutes for you during your down years. It's just it's hard to it's hard to get any efficiency on those types. And and that's why. Get them for free. Free. That's the way to that's the way to go about getting reclamations when your team is far away from contention as the Canucks. All right, it's a little bit late in the show, but Rick Tockett spoke at length after practice today. Got a big chunk of audio from the coach, so we'll play it here in a second. Look for updates on uh, OEL, Curtis Lazar, potentially Thatcher Demko as well. We'll have a few minutes to break down after we hear from Tockett. Here is Canucks head coach Rick Tockett. Rick, uh, any update on OEL or uh, Curtis? Well, OEL, I think, went this, uh, to get uh, x-rays. Um, who's the other one? Curtis. Curtis. Uh, no, uh, I haven't talked to doctors about Curtis, uh, but they're obviously day-to-day right now. You don't, you ruling them out for Saturday or not necessarily? Yeah, I, I don't think OAL is going to play Saturday. Curtis maybe, but I, 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 I don't think OAL will be in. And Thatcher's departure from practice today, was that designed or? I, actually, I was teaching, I didn't see him go off, but I, I know he had 30 minutes before, so he, he's dead about 45 minutes of practice. So you got to remember that he was out there 30 minutes before, so. Um, you know, you, you don't want to go the same, especially him coming back from injuries. You don't want him to stand out too long. And I think he's been working really hard. Did any 
you didn't get any report when you came off that he had tweaked anything or had no no i haven't talked to the trainer no no if it was an emer if it was something bad the trainer would have been told me by now so i don't think it's bad or anything the guy who has an advantage in this transition is probably anthony bovillier because he would be transitioning no matter what you know how how have you seen him adapt and, and <coughs> sort of fit the group since he came in yeah, I think he's done a really nice job in integrating with the players. He's a, he's got a smile in him. I like him. He's got, he's a cheery guy. We need we need that. Um, saying that though, sometimes I think playing with Petey, I think sometimes he's a little too fancy. Sometimes that line gets fancy, so he's got to be careful because he's a he's a fast player. Uh, he's a first four check player. If he does that, I think he'll be really effective. Sometimes he gets a little bit too much east west with Petey. I found them the last couple of games trying a little too fancy stuff, and he. That's what happens with players. Sometimes you know you get elevated to a playing with a really good you know, star player like Petey. You start to forget what your strengths are. And uh, I'm not saying he was horrible, but I thought he got a little bit too much east-west with him. Because uh, he is, you know, you've talked about north-south players and wall guys, and he is one of those kind of naturally, isn't he? Yeah, he's definitely, the, the Islanders play that way. So I want him to play that same way here. Um, I don't want him to change because he's playing with a different player. So uh, you're right. Um, like I said, I just thought those guys got a little too east-west, especially the first two periods against the Rangers. But when the third period, I thought that line played good because they started to get more north-south and they they were better in the third period. We've seen, this is my last question. I'm oh, yeah, no problem. I'll no. let others ask yeah. questions. But we, we've seen here many times, and it's probably happened other places too, yeah. guys get acquired and they kind of get uh, oversold. Like they're somebody who's been a second-pair guy, somebody who's oh. on the first pair, right. somebody who's... You know, whatever was a third line center. Now he's going to be the first line center. Beauvillier well, was a third line player with the yeah. Islanders, but he's been on the first line for you. Do you think that that adds uh, more pressure, or does it create sort of an expectation that he might have a hard time? Living well, up? that's that's a great question. I think it's my job and the coaching staff to real to make what his strengths are. You know, obviously we you know we're a little thin on certain situations, so some guys might have to play. In different positions and different lines, but saying that to play with, especially Peter Pedersen, is you, we need that four-checking guy go through the middle of the ice, win retrievals, win puck battles, um, and if you, that's who he is, so uh, we got to work to that strength. Yeah, I, I I don't want him to try to play like somebody different, um, and you know he's a third-line role. You could still have a third-line mentality playing a first-line role. You know, just be first on the four-check and do all the little things to help your teammates out. Rick, you talked about the need for more practice with this team. You've got a couple of good long sessions in uh, this week. What have you learned about this group from the last uh, since you came back? Well, I, I think the, the group is trying to work hard. I, 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 it's not an excuse. I know the coach staff, we, I wish we had more time. Um, they just got to know it's a hard game, you know, and I, I, I felt against the Rangers there was some good effort, but we just, you got to go through people, you got to stick people, you got to mark people, and we have a bad habit of spinning away from people, and I don't know, that's that's going to take a long time. <clears throat> that's hard hockey, um, and you're not going to be a winning team if if you don't embrace that, you know, that pain where it's, <clears throat> and I don't care if you're a small guy or a big guy, you don't have to kill a guy. You just got to make sure you mark your guy. Sorry, my throat's <clears throat> yelling too much. <clears throat> Sorry. So D zone, I, I, especially the Rangers, like, you know, 
you got to make sure if you, you go on Panarin, I don't care if you're Pedersen or if you're Hughes or you're Joshua Dakota, that's your man. You go through him. You don't have to kill him. And I feel we come off our check way too much. <clears throat> but that starts at training camp. That, that, that starts weeks and weeks of pounding and pounding and pounding it. So we got a lot of work to do. I'm going to be quite frank. Uh, and it's, it's, it's not an indictment to anybody. It's just that's the way it is. And we have to, as coaches, exhaust everything we have to make sure that these guys understand that. Well, it's very difficult. I mean, you're, you're on the fly. You know, you're, you're, you know, I know people want results, and I'm worried about the other stuff. You know, the results will come if we do that stuff. You know, you're not going to get, we're not going to win ho- hockey games uh, if we forget about the process. If I'm, you know, you just can't. That's why the other day I had a pretty good practice. Maybe some guys retired last game. Maybe that's why we lost it. I don't know. But I don't care. I mean, we have to go through this process, and, and we have to go through the pain. You know, you, you can't be caught in between. You know, you won't. It'll never win. So, um, we just got to make sure that we just keep chipping away. Rick, where do you where do you stand on shot blocking and the need to block shots? Well, you had nine last night as a group. Like, is that a not that enough? A, yeah. We have guys who are pelly killing that don't block enough shots, and I got to find people to do that. It, it's not. It, listen. It, it, I, I get it, you know, but there's certain times when you just got to block that shot, you know. There's just no excuse, you know. Six minutes left, and that's you're the flexo guy, and you got to get out on the guy. That shot's got to be blocked. So yeah, that's another part of the process here. We have to block shots. Stanika obviously has been ill and hasn't been available. So are you kind of curious as you go about fact finding and what you've got to work with? Well, the one thing I, I'm kind of like about him. I mean, obviously he put some weight back. He lost a bit of weight there, but he put. Uh, his hockey IQ. I think there's some hockey IQ. Like we're, I'm demanding some stuff in the D zone that it's not so much. You have to have a little hockey IQ, but I see that in him. You know whether he can play here or not. I, I don't know, but uh, I do like this hockey IQ. I will tell you that, and his work ethic too. He's really worked hard this week, um, and he wants to prove to me that you know he wants in the lineup. But I, I like. I'm going to try to get him in the lineup. He probably will be in the lineup. You've talked about developing wall guys, Puck Colton. Uh, you know. <clears throat> Philby just have you shown something here as well. Uh, the rest of the lineup, do you, do you see something there in terms of other guys developing into that role? Yeah, I, I mean, Jesus Epi is kind of a perfect example. He's 29-year-old, he's been the minors, and, you know, he's been one of my best players because he's buying in. You know, Pod Coles is a kid that um, I love him in the sense that he wants to work hard, but, you know, practice day when he turns around on a check, you got to stop the drill and tell Pods you got to go through people. That, that's... It's the only way you're going to get better is you do it in practice. You just doesn't wake up every day, you know. Sidney Crosby practices hard every day, you know. Like, you know, D-zone coverage, that's his man. He goes through his man. Like, he just doesn't all of a sudden. Sidney Crosby didn't become Sidney Crosby because, hey, I'm just going to do it in the games. And we have to, we have to understand that. That buy-in that you're talking about, mm-hmm. is it easier to get that from guys who come up from the AHL? Well, yeah, because they're desperate, you know. But we have to... It's just a desperation, and we, and even our leadership group, they got to make each other accountable. They, when, they, when they're going five on five against each other, I want to see them go five, like, go best on best. I want Petey and Milsey to go at it in a good way, of challenge himself, you know, um, because good players want that. You know, who wants to, who wants to play a five on five and everybody's easy and it's not, it, it's not fun. You want to, you want to go against the best. So, challenge your your buddy, challenge, and I. We got to get better at that. I mean, and that, but that's good though. I mean, it's something that uh, we're all embracing here. You mentioned about uh, you can't be 
think there's some guys right now, there's maybe some hesitation in their game because they're trying to think about what it is you want versus what it is they have been doing. And yeah, yes and no. I mean, you know the puck's going in there. You have some conviction and go and get the guy. Like, I agree with you. Maybe there's a hesitation on some stuff, <clears throat> but you got to talk. This team doesn't talk. And, uh, you know, I don't know, you guys watched me today. I was really upset because we do a drill, but we're not talking. You know, hockey is a fast sport. And if I can tell my buddy, you know, I got him, that half second is the difference between a goal. So there's not a lot of talk. And I, 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 that's a, we have to develop that, you know, the personality, you know. You know, Petey's a quiet guy. Hughes a quiet guy. But that, you know, Dakota Joshua says they're quiet guys, but you can't be quiet on the ice. Because um, if you talk and you trust your partner, you're going to get that extra half a second. Half a second in NHL, people might not realize it's huge in hockey. And we got to find that half a second. Thank you. That is Canucks head coach Rick Tockett after the team practiced out at UBC today. And we're, we're developing a, a deep roster of complaints that Rick Tockett has. <laughs> like you mentioned the north-south, east-west thing again. You know, Anthony Bovillier maybe getting a little too fancy, moving in the wrong direction a little too much as opposed to north-south. And we can add a couple to the list now from that one, right? Guys come off their check way too much on this team and this team doesn't talk this team doesn't talk enough he has a lot of issues a lot of issues with the way this team plays Dredzer good I'm not disagreeing means, I'm sure not disagreeing means his eyes are open and he's not overly like he's not playing games right like he's just leveling with us for now we'll see how long that lasts <laughs> um but uh but yeah good good uh, not talking is definitely a problem I would think so, yeah. And there's one, it's one thing to be like quiet in terms of your leadership style or quiet in terms of your personality off the ice. There's no, that can't, you can't let that prevent you from doing like the basic communication on the ice that you have to have uh, with your teammates. Uh, also love that you said uh, Phil Giuseppe has been one of his best players. You know, a little nod to you there. <laughs> The Phil DiGiuseppe phrase. He, he's not wrong. It's just let's keep it in context. Yeah. Uh, and the one I did want to get into a little bit. <laughs> he's not wrong. We just, I don't want to hear it echoed. Like, it's Rick Tockett's holding up a guy who's working the way he wants to see his team work and playing a style he wants to see his team play for a reason. And he's going to keep promoting him so long as he keeps playing like that for a reason. It's a message for the room. That's well and good. We don't have to accept the premise of that. You know, like, this is my problem sometimes with hockey analysis where it's like coach thinks it coach rewards player for it. There's a reason they're doing that. The audience is not us. The audience mm, is in the, the room, right? And yet media will echo that without being critical about like w what's going on there. Right. That's what I'm, that's what I'm beseeching us to do is like, see it for what it is and also not be like, you know, you got to carve out space for Phil DiGiuseppe on the second line next season right you know right. like that's that's the we don't need to make more of this than it is this is a guy who's deserved to be in the nhl for most of the last two years taking advantage of his shot kudos to him but there's a premise we don't need to buy into here. yeah and the east west thing is interesting to me and harge from surrey texted in while we were listening to that he says uh, talk it really loves his north south guys hates east west guys he talks about it every scrum any thoughts on that that's the one where I do think, and I'm not saying Tockett doesn't do this, but you do have to make some allowances for your high skill guys to make high skill plays and to have that creativity, right? Where they don't feel bound. Oh, 
because we're playing north south i have to do this here rather than try to play make a play to beat my man so that you know and again i think it's too early to say that's a major concern but it can't come at the expense of you're limiting your high skill guys it's a north south league okay what was the nicest east west play of the game last night it was the Crider rush okay yeah right but that's a north south play that play is created the because they exited the zone extraordinarily quickly with possession teams that exit the zone with control put themselves in an ad it's like fast break in basketball it's yeah. the, the rush and that is what this team can't do and that's why they're always stuck in the mud north south east west it's it's a distinction that does that's not helpful think about it as attacking like there's skill still skill involved in attacking north south that's going to do it for us. Hockey PDO cast is up next. We're back tomorrow. Have a great Thursday evening. You're listening to Sportsnet 650.